episode three of our Calvary Connection podcast. Good to be with you as we gather to discuss chapters three and four from our book, The Universal Christ by Richard Rohr. I want to thank everyone who's been participating so far. We've had some great feedback uh, and some great conversation about things that have been happening so far. I know last week when we discussed chapters one and two, we had a really wonderful conversation. Yeah, it was so great. Uh, We had the Zoom talk with everyone on Wednesday night. Really went the whole time. We we filled it up with everything that people wanted to chat about. Uh, I don't know, Pastor Janelle, do you want to walk us through a couple of the, uh, the high points of that conversation? Yeah. A lot of rich conversation, and again, um, because we're doing the podcast, Pastor Jeremiah and I are going to try to facilitate conversation and not really be a question and answer because we don't have the answers either, but uh, to just engage in deeper conversation and some great wonderment together. And again, we'll share some of those wonderments together, and some of them we can agree to disagree on. But I agree, wonderful. Um, So to recap Chapter 1, I think a few of the things that we talked about in Chapter 1, Jesus Christ, Christ isn't the last name, just talking about, we had some delightful conversations about Jesus the Christ, even putting in that little three-letter word helps us distinguish when we're talking about the divinity part versus the human part, and yet how um, God is definitely embodied in in Jesus, Um, and yet some delightful conversation about how the Lutherans really understand the Holy Spirit, and maybe Roar is... Or not understand the Holy Spirit. You don't do a great job of understanding the Holy Spirit, but that that's um, what we would use as spirit language. Roar is helping be Christ. So in some ways, just language, um, and just kind of understanding that we don't have to all agree on the language, but the concepts are really good, and I think that uh, one of the quotes um, I just wrote down again, on page 14, resonated with all of us, talking about light. Uh, Jesus says, I am the light of the world and calls us to be children of the light. And then Roar said this, light is not so much of what you directly see as that by which you see everything else. And just talking about how that just Jesus lens or um, in chapter two, actually, Amy Grant's song, The Father's Eyes. That really resonated with people about how we really just are trying to look for the divine everywhere. That's creator, spirit, Christ. Um, And uh, so those are some of the highlights of chapter one and two. Yeah, for sure. And as we go forward with uh, chapters three and four, if you have more things that you want to share with us, uh, feel free to send us an email at podcast at calvarybemidji.org. We can uh, include those in the conversation. Yes. Uh, and if you'd like to be part of uh, the Zoom conversation going forward, that's happening every Wednesday night. Uh, we're participating in that each week, starting at, what, 7.30? Is that where it is? 7 yeah. o'clock? What, what's the time frame on this? 7.15. Okay. How about 7.15? 7.15, yeah. Uh, so you can sign up for that on the website. Be a part of the conversation. We'd love to have everyone there that would like to participate. So jumping in on uh, chapters three and four, uh, you know we got we got some more material here from uh, from our good friend Richard. Uh, what are your initial thoughts, uh, Pastor Janelle? What have, what is what's kind of jumped out at you in this next couple? Yeah, of I think again more thought provoking. Uh, uh, read it, reread it, uh, see what resonates and what doesn't. And again, you know me well enough to know if I can't apply it to ministry, sometimes I just am not sure what to do with it. Um, So I tried to read it and reread it in the sense of like, how have I experienced this in my ministry and in my life? And there were some definite uh, pointed moments that I did. And and again, still a lot that went over my head. So there you have it. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. I think that for me, a lot of my 
initial impressions from chapters one and two have continued. Uh, it's still this dichotomy of some things that I'm just right there with them on, and like, this is a great idea. I love what this says about God's presence in the world. And then the other moments where I'm like, no, that's that's just an incorrect understanding. You're just wrong about that. Uh, and so it's kind of fun to kind of go back and forth between those. Uh, one of the things that's, that, that continue to come up for me and kind of touches on what you were saying about the Holy Spirit is I, 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 would, I would like to hear Richard Rohr talk about what he sees the Holy Spirit as. Yes. Uh, because for me, and I think probably for other people too, a lot of what he's using Christ language for is how I've understood the Holy Spirit. Yes. Uh, and I don't know if he has a theology of the Holy Spirit. And if he does, I'd love to hear some about it. Yeah. Because uh, I, I don't see it in his writing too much right now. Yeah. So that's kind of where I've, I've my initial impressions on that. And I keep defaulting to um, he's pushing me to think outside of my old yes. um, understanding. And I think that leads into chapter three. Yeah, for sure. Paul's new paradigm. Yes. Um, uh, so I'm trying to stay open to just hearing it in a new way so I can experience it in a new way. And I think my constant prayer is kind of what Paul's experience is. Right the minute I think I know something, uh, you know, um, I probably need to be challenged so I don't get comfortable or apathetic, um, but to continue to be challenged. So I think the striving to for me in my Christian journey is to have those scales that fall from, fall the, from eyes. the eyes yeah. to say I saw something in a new way, I experienced something in a new way, and I can point to that being divine. Well, and I think that's a lot of what the Christian experience is meant to be yes. across the board, sure. right? Seeing things in new ways, right. having Christ open new possibilities to us. And, and that's that's really not limited to one aspect of our faith, but really goes across the whole board. Uh, this idea of that new paradigm yeah. uh, that Roar talks about, especially with uh, touching on the Apostle Paul and some of his, his experiences, that's actually the first uh, kind of subsection that we had to jump on today with our, our discussion. Uh, we had some other folks that were writing in emails to us. Uh, Teresa said that she liked that challenge uh, or that part of page 40 where he writes about how uh, God was challenging new ways of thinking, right? Yes. That, that new paradigm that, that Paul had, thinking of ways that we can grow in, in knowledge and wisdom and how that applies to us as well. Um, and I, I certainly resonated with, with that aspect of things, too, with, with his understanding of Paul. I did have a little bit of pushback against him with that, though. Um, for those of you who might not know, we do have a, a theological book group at Calvary, too, that's been reading N.T. Wright's book about Paul, um, which is actually something that Rohr references right. in this chapter. Uh, and when Rohr talks about how Paul kind of converts or changes from Judaism to Christianity, I think... Wright would disagree with that interpretation, and I kind of disagree with that too. It's more of Paul seeing that as one thing, right? It's a continuation yes. of his Jewish experience right. in a new way, a new paradigm certainly, but that it is authentically what God was doing from the beginning with Judaism carried out through into this new way of thinking. Yes. Uh, and so that to me was maybe one of those points of disagreement with Rohr. Yeah, and interesting because at the end of chapter 2, Rohr even talks about how we're in the flow of the creation continue to be revealed. And so some sometimes he does allude to that flow, and sometimes he, yeah. you know, I read him a little bit different too. But great point. I mean, I think um, Paul's experience is one example. And then to go into that a little bit deeper, Paul just talking about uh, God revealed God's self in me, yes. not to me, um, was another time I just needed to pause and think about what is the difference here? What point is he trying to make? Um that uh, what physically, how do I change as well as spiritually and emotionally and how that is a God-led 
sometimes of God-led things, um, instead of it being out there somewhere, sure. um, that I had to stop and think about how have I experienced that in my ministry. Um, I don't know. What did you think well, about that? Well, yeah, that, that was actually something that we got some more feedback on. Okay. That, that particular line where, uh, on page 42 where it says, um, what is it here? God must reveal himself in you before he can reveal himself to you. Uh, and so uh, Cheryl was asking, so does that mean that God lives in everyone, even if they haven't accepted Christ or if someone doesn't believe? Uh, and, and Teresa said uh, that she's not sure if, if that makes sense for there to be one way of faith to work, right? That maybe that this external versus internal thing, that, that might not be a dichotomy, that some things might work for one person but not the other. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think there's some value in that, too. Yep, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I think to think about that... Um, Parenting has taught me a lot. Uh, you're a new parent, Jeremiah. Yeah. You're learning this too. Um, it's probably the second hardest job of my life. Marriage is number one. Uh, you know, we're not even in a vocation yet. Um, but I think being born, my children born in Netland, um, they have my DNA. They have my last name. Yeah. And in some way, the this in me and not to me, I think that, you know, we have God's DNA in us. Sure. And even if my kids strayed off, didn't want anything to do with me, didn't care about my history book or my life lessons or whatever, would they still be attached to me? Yes. Not only biologically, but relationally. Um, They're as a still mom, your children. Right. And they always will be. Yeah. I, I can't imagine not loving them or not searching for them or desiring to be in relationship with them as much as they challenge me sometimes. Um, <laughs> They're not watching this, are they? Yeah. Sorry. Edit that part out. Um, <laughs> But how much more than our God, yeah, who's right. not broken like I am, uh, to desire a relationship with me, that I'm part of God's DNA, and that revealing in me solidifies that, and it's not just to me, but in me. And I think, again, when I try to think about my own kids, they might care less about my history. Um, they might not even value my relationship all the time, but that if they don't believe in me... That doesn't make you any less their mother. Right. Yeah. And I think in some ways that has helped me understand in a new way how God somewhat relates to us, too, as Absolutely. his children. Absolutely. Uh, th this part, too, about um, God must reveal himself in right. you before he can really reveal himself to you, that also kind of rubs some people as being like uh, a proof of your validity as a Christian, right? Or that you have to do things a certain way in order to be a true Christian. I mean, right. and this is one of those those things that pops up in, in Christian belief a lot of times, yes. right? Where we proof text someone's faith, right. uh, where we say, well, this is the standard of being a true Christian. Right. Uh, no, no real Christian would do X, Y, or Z, right? Uh, and that's something that, that Roar does touch on a little bit too. Uh, on page 51, he says, proof that you are a Christian is that you can see Christ everywhere else. Again, touching into the idea that there is this, this proof that you yeah. can give that you're a Christian. Uh, Kurt wrote in and said, I did struggle with this statement. And, and I did too, Kurt. I think a few other people did too. Uh, I, I have a real issue with any time that we, that we come up with a certain lens and say, this is how we know if someone is a Christian or this is not. Uh, I tend to be skeptical of any of those proofs that one can make. But I will say that as those proofs go, this is probably one of the least bad ones. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the idea that we can see people, see Christ in other people, I can kind of get on board with that more yeah. than I can any other proof. Yeah. So. And, you know, Richard kind of talks about how if we spent more time uh, following Jesus, yeah, right. um, instead of proving that he's God, 
what would our world be like? Yeah. And I think that, that that was a challenging kind of thought provoking thought for me too. That um, I don't need to prove to anybody else either that Jesus is God, but I need to live as if Jesus being God matters. Sure. And it's transforming my life, so others may be like, "Oh, I I wonder what that's about." Um, so that was kind of convicting to me too. And I again, I think sometimes faith is is caught mm-hmm. and not taught. Right. Yes. And I, that's what I kind of start, started to hear roar saying. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, and that kind of connects. We've got uh, the next section that really drew some some commentary on it was uh, the statement that Jesus can hold together one group or religion. Christ can hold together everything. And this is from page 47. Kind of ties into that idea of, you know, uh, of attracting a small group versus a large group. Uh, Cheryl says, please give me some interpretation on this. What does this mean? Yeah. Jesus can attract one group. Christ can hold together everything. Where are we going with that? Yeah, you know, I think, again, this is where Roar pushes me to be, when I get just Christ embodied in Jesus, I'm missing something. Okay. So i got to expand my understanding of that. Um, again, Jesus didn't say, worship me. Jesus said, follow me. Yeah. Um, and even if we strive to do that, still do we reflect God? Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways here, this can, can hold together um, understandings of uh, different religions, even honoring that Jesus was a good guy, yeah. but not necessarily divine. Uh, there's room for that. And at the same time, I hear Roar saying, actually, Christ does hold us all together. Yeah. Because divine is something that's not us, but of us. Um so I do think that there, again, he's trying to really force us to think about Jesus separating from Christ. Sure. And I keep thinking, even though that challenges me, the, the point that I think Richard is trying to teach me is when I limit Christ just to Jesus, I miss parts sure, of, of God's divinity and work. And whether I call that spirit or creation, um, so that continues to press me to think, a little bit more openly than I have before. That, yeah. That's my shot at it. What about you? Yeah, I, I think that, that that's really uh, striking that uh, helmet. Na- hammer with the nail on the head. That whole yeah, phrase. Yeah. Whatever that is. Hit, hit the, hit the, you did it right. We'll go with that. But yeah, I think I think that what Roar is doing here uh, really has to do with his use of that language. Yes. right? The, the Christ language, again, I think he's using as a stand-in for all divinity, right? right? The idea of God's presence in any way, shape, or form. That's how I read it, yeah. Uh, And so he's saying, and he sees Jesus, that term Jesus, as being specific to the man who lived for a certain period of time, fully fleshed at a certain place, uh, and and that Jesus, for Roar, is just that. Whereas everything of God that is larger, he calls Christ. Right. Which, again, I think is just... Maybe us just tripping over language and names. Yeah, yeah. I think too we wrestle with what would Jesus be like today mm, in our sure. culture and things like that. And again, it talks about time and space where Christ is beyond time yeah. or space, universal. Think, yes. Yeah. So I think that that's a little bit what he's pressing me to think too is that when we just limit to like what would he look like today, where would he live in Bemidji, sure. <laughs> who would he interact with, who are the outsiders here? Again, it limits our time and, and place. Uh, to more specificity than... than it's just changing the context yes, rather than right. expanding. So I think one group, yep, he would group together with who? Down by the lakeshore here. Um, it would give us another lens, but that, again, it, it's still limiting in yeah. the fact that Christ is beyond time and space. So that, again, 
I'm not sure if that's right, but that's how I read into it. <laughs> and I think that's a theme that runs throughout yes. not just this chapter, but the whole book. I mean, yeah. our next, uh, the next point of contention that people talked about, too, I think has some elements of that. Uh, we're on pages 49 and 50. Yeah. And he talks about how it's kind of hubris for us to think of all previous peoples going back to Cro-Magnon Man and the Neanderthals and everyone else that came before us as some kind of like throwaway dress rehearsal, is what right. he calls it, for the people that are now us, which are clearly the ones who have it all together and understand things perfectly, right? Uh, reading, reading that reminded me of a comic that I found on the internet a number of years ago, and I, I was able to find it again today. I, I don't have the attribu uh, attribution for this. I don't know who did this, so my apologies to the uh, the creator of this. But, Char, if you can zoom in on that at all, I can kind of explain it. Uh, so this is a picture, a comic strip, of a... Um, of a uh, new member class at a, at a, at a uh, church, and the pastor or the teacher is teaching these people about their particular denomination. He's got a blackboard that is absolutely full of this gigantic family tree with all kinds of branches everywhere. And at the very end, there's just one little branch circled, and he says, so this is where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. And then there's one of those little people in his class that says, man, Jesus sure is lucky to have us. Oh, indeed. <laughs> right? And, and I think that there's so much truth in this that it is silly for us to think that somehow we have it all figured out, that we are the culmination of what God has been trying to bring. Here at Calvary Lutheran in Bemidji, Minnesota, we have figured out the truth of everything that God is trying to teach. Of course not. Right. Of course not. Of course that... The, the people that have come before us in this family tree and everyone that exists is part of this larger picture. And it's not just us. Uh, and I think that what Roar is getting at about this universality of it has a fair amount to do with that. Mm -hmm. uh, we did also get another email uh, kind of related to that. If I can find it really quick here. Um, Kurt Peterson uh, writes in about this uh, and says that he finds Roar's arguments very credible. Uh, that whoever a Cro-Magnon man and different tribes, races, or peoples worshipped, who was to say that they were not worshipping the same God that we worship, even if using different names? Uh, Roar reminds us that from the beginning, Yahweh let the Jewish people know that no right word would ever contain God's infinite mystery. Uh, Native Americans traditionally worshipped their great spirit. Could that not be our God? Uh, and I think that a lot of what Roar is saying here kind of gets to that truth, that idea that that, that, I, that the name is might not be the important thing, but the substance underneath it, which is. Uh, and I wonder if a lot of that idea is kind of driving our discussion about Rohr's use of the term Christ, yes. right? Is our disagreement with Rohr based on how he uses words versus the substance? I mean, I think most of us agree that God is present in the world. The words we use to describe that presence, that might be what we're kind of tripping over. And is that worth tripping over? Maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Yeah. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think, too, throughout Scripture even, just to understand our place and time in history, is that we all see in the mirror dimly. Yeah, right. And we have moments of revelation, of insight, of inspiration, of prophetic voice, of pastoral voices. Um, and yet we will, I mean, I, I think the worst thing we could do is give up yes. or give in. I think continuing to strive for this, whether it's 
researching language, again, for me, it has to be lived out in a way that makes purpose and ministry. And, and when, um, and again, when I can't find that kind of boots on the ground, I just have to set that aside. It's not my time or not. But again, I, I think sometimes as pastors, we feel like we should have the answers <laughs> or we need to defend God. Right. And quite frankly, I don't understand a lot of it. It's, it's a mystery. Yeah. And yet I'm so delighted to be in conversation about it. And I always want to be learning that God is going to continue to reveal God's self to me. I just got to stay open. Yep. And again, some of it doesn't work for me. Some of it I'm not mature enough to have it work for me, um, whatever the case may be. Uh, but my journey is one of just a deep desire to keep striving, to keep learning, to keep growing. And that the story isn't over. Right. You know, that this is a story that's continuing to be written. So we can't know everything about what God is doing because God's not done acting yet. Right. God is continuing to build the kingdom now, which I think is just such an exciting thing, you know? And again, back to parenting. I mean, once I figured out, oh, this really worked for a nighttime routine, another week that didn't work you had to be you right, know you, you just have to keep keep adapting and i think again that's kind of how life is um and again go back to paul i want those scales to fall off to that which will keep me from realizing god being active in my life today that's my prayer yeah well the next section that we have to look at here is the question of uh chapter four yeah. roar makes a claim that christ uh, christians tend to focus on jesus death as being what saves us sinners and not Jesus' life. That we don't focus on Jesus' life and teachings as much as we do on his death uh, on page 62. Uh, and Kurt was wondering what we as pastors think about that. Yeah, you know, I do think that, um, I hope that's not true, <laughs> yeah. um, uh, that we are, um, even now in Luke, in, on Sundays, we're teaching about the parables, the stories that Jesus tells. It's not even his actions necessarily, but what is he trying to teach us? And that that is a lot of what we dig into with scripture. Um, I think that Jesus's life um, is a model for us of how we can live an embodied Christ. Um, but honestly, without his death and resurrection, we wouldn't have meaning to how to live. So I do think it's a key part of knowing that death is a part of our story and it's not the end, uh, but the resurrection does come in order to reflect back or loop back to know why we're here, what's the purpose. Um, and it's not just to get to heaven. It is to have a fruitful, abundant life here yes, on earth. Yes, yes. And exactly. so that following. The kingdom um, of God is here. Right. Yeah. Right. So, but without understanding death and resurrection, you might not understand why we're following or listening or reading these texts together and preaching about it. So I do think it's a key part, but I hope that we don't come across that uh, death and then everything follows. Um, it, it is. It, it, it does all need to flow together. But if there wasn't death, or we acted like we weren't going to die, or that we weren't, we couldn't be afraid of death. That would not be authentic. We have human emotions and feelings and grieve. Um, so it's a key part. But I, I hope we don't get stuck there. And please let us know if we do get stuck there, yeah. because that's not our intention. But a very important part to know why we live and how to live. And follow. Yeah, I tend to agree 100%. I mean, I think there have been times in Christian history where the death of Jesus and the necessity for that and the sin of humanity was used as a weapon, right? Yes. And that's that this was true. driven Good into point. people and focused on to the extent where yeah. people would use that in order to try to control or manipulate. Others. That's true. Uh, and I think that is a legitimate criticism. Um, but I do think that it's important for us to have both 
parts. If you don't have one or the other, both and the other, then you're going to fall off on one side or the other. You know, it's it's not just about grace. It's not just about law. It's just it's not just about life or death. These yeah. things are part of the experience we have together and we hold together. Uh, and I, I do think that we do uh, focus on the life of Jesus, you know, with the parables and those other things. Um, but I think we do both, and I think that's important. Uh, Kurt also wrote that he found page 63 interesting, where Rohr talks about the theology of sin management administered by an elite clergy, which results in a schizophrenic religion with a merciful Jesus on earth and a punishing Jesus in heaven. And I mean, I think, I think that kind of ties into that yeah. idea of using sin and death as a weapon. Right. Um, to me, that sounds a lot like what the Reformation was about. I agree. You know, I mean, we had people like John Tetzel and these, these people who were trying to scare people with threats of hell in order to get them to pay the money for indulgences. And Luther is saying, that's not our role as clergy. We're not meant to be distributors of grace. You know, the grace doesn't come from us that we're selling to people or even giving to people. The grace comes from God, and we are just proclaiming that. That's right. So I really hope that we don't fall into this idea of being the grace distributors. A lot of people have asked, too, we are to fear and love God, even as we study the catechism. And what does fear mean? Well, it's not in the same way as the Reformation, you know, yeah. that we fear in a way of trembling or power. It is more of an awe. Um, it's an embracement um, that, the, that the fear is an opening in some way. Uh, a refining part, but it, fear is kind of a weird word. But yeah. I think you're right in the sense too that um, it's not, it's not about power um, and us leveraging power to win people to the kingdom. Yeah, no. Um, Perfect love casts out fear. We're not supposed right. to use it that way. Right. That's yeah. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the last topic we have in our section for uh, chapters three and four was this idea of original goodness. Yeah. Uh, and Teresa wanted us to maybe expand a little bit about that. Explain. What is original goodness? I mean, we've heard of original sin, some of us. Uh, what What is Roar getting at here, Pastor Janelle? Yeah, you know, I think that this was very uh, interesting read, too. Just, again, um, as a lifelong Christian, um, I've never heard this before. Yeah. Original goodness? Yeah. Um, I think our story um, it, it, in creation starts with good, and it is very good. And immediately what we dwell on is how... How we blew it up. Yeah. <laughs> How we broke it. The women did it. The guys, the mom, whatever uh, the story is, and and to think that um, to even reframe that is as how God's goodness came, the grace that came in the midst of that brokenness from the beginning. The expectation was God wasn't like, um, uh, oh, you totally failed me. We got to find a new way to relate and be in relationship. And then Noah's Ark, same thing. I mean, there's all these examples going on that God continues to kind of never give up on us, yeah. um, continue to find ways to reach out to us. So I think that that framing for me is still something, Teresa, I'm sitting with too. Um, and I do see how God continues to spread God's goodness um, and that as a sinner, I'm so relieved to know that I do need a savior and that, that God is working on reaching out to me. Um, and yeah, I'm still sitting with it. What was your impression? Yeah, and I think for me that also ties into some of the conversation we had last Wednesday, actually, yeah. about the fact that you know God doesn't create evil, but that God can make uh, use evil to create good kind of thing. Bring bring good from evil, I think was the terminology yeah. that, was, yeah. that was used. Uh, and actually, Ron Gladen wrote in to say about this, 
I can truthfully say that every rotten thing that has happened to me, and I've had my share, with very few exceptions, has added up in the long run to something good. That idea of God maybe using that original brokenness or sin or death to bring into fruition this new creation of this original goodness yeah. of God that is found in And I would say where I've seen that in my ministry, let's say that they, I'm doing some couple counseling, mm-hmm. and they're on the brink um, of divorce or separation, and they find a way to re-covenant yeah. and to say, we're going to try to practice some different behaviors. We're going to relearn, reframe, and kind of set the reset button. That doesn't mean forgetting um, what happened in the past, but it does. it is trying to be a way to forgive that and start over. And I do think this is kind of what he's getting to. We're going to go through some really rough patches, but how do we... Reframe, and we, if we don't reframe in that divinity and that goodness, uh, we kind of lose our way. Yeah. Like I'm just failing, and I'm failing even more, and I'm, and I'm never going to feel like I'm enough. Uh, and God's message is, you you are enough, and I'm going to equip you. I think the same thing. Um, I'm fascinated with people who have pets, and they love their pets like their family, and their pets die, and I grieve with them, and we do some rituals to bury them, and I think. Well, they're never going to get another pet again. That was devastating. And the next Christmas, what did they get? A new puppy! And I'm like, what are you doing? But that is original goodness. We're restored to a point that we would risk loving again, even though we know we're going to lose. And and that ties into love being that choice, right? That it's something that we practice. Uh, And Roar touches on this as well, the idea that, that... in order to enable this this goodness, this faith, hope, and love that he, he addresses, yeah. it's something that needs to be deliberately practiced in life. That we can't just say, I'm going to love this and not do anything about it. But daily, it's this practice of choosing to see one another with love. Uh, and that really resonated with me a lot. I, I think agree. that that is absolutely true. That being a loving person and following Christ in these things requires this discipline of choosing to do so every day. In our premarital counselings, we talk about that. They're in a love feeling yeah. when they're newly um, engaged. And to transition that, that's not a bad thing. It's a beautiful thing. But love becomes a choice. Yes. And um, it's not just a feeling. And I think that, again, Jesus didn't die on the cross because he had a warm, fuzzy kind of love for you and I. It's not like butterflies in his stomach when he sees us. Yeah. It is a love of a choice to love us for who we are and that we're worth redeeming. And God chooses us every time. Yeah. yeah. Well, this has been another great conversation, Pastor Cadell. I, I, Is it over? I can't okay. tell you how much I'm loving this. <laughs> uh, it's just so much fun. Uh, we'll continue to be doing this uh, each time, each each uh, week during Lent, as we walk through this book together. Uh, again, if you have thoughts or questions that you'd like us to address in the podcast, please let us know. Uh, once again, it's podcast at calvarybemidji.org. Uh, come join us on the Zoom call on Wednesday nights. Uh, we'd love to have some more conversation about that. Absolutely. All right. Great. See you next time. Have a good week. Have a good week.